0: Hi, this is Father Mark Poulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. In this week's episode, Richard and I review Father Paul Tarazi's Exegesis of the Healing at Bethesda in the Gospel of John chapter 5, reflecting on the function of weakness in the New Testament and the Lord's commandment to keep the Sabbath. We discuss how these concepts relate to the purpose of the Torah in Genesis and Exodus, and how this purpose is fulfilled in John's proclamation of the resurrection. This leads to interesting observations about the location of the biblical promised land and the subtle interplay in John between the function Jew and the function Canaanite. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos,
1: And this is Dr. Richard Benton.
0: And you are listening to the 18th episode of the Bible as Literature podcast.
1: Today we're going to be talking about last week's lectionary reading, which is about the healing of the paralytic in the fifth chapter of John. But in your sermon, Father, you were talking about how maybe the best way of translating this would not be paralytic, but something else. Can you explain what you were trying to say there?
0: As I often do, I prepare my sermons early on Sunday morning, and I got up to look at this text. I've been preaching on this now for, I don't know, 11 years. And part of my ritual is to sit down and take out a commentary in the morning and reflect. And I pulled out Father Paul Tarazzi's commentary on the Gospel of John, his introduction. And he makes an interesting point in his discussion of John chapter five. He talks about how important it is to look at the Greek when reading this text. You know, when we look at a text like this and we read a few verses, for example, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. If you're reading that in English, it seems intuitive. I mean, how many ways can you say that somebody is sick? What's the big deal? Now, I'm reading to you from the NASB. I like this translation because it it favors literal translation over stylistic translation, but even the NASB, like the RSV, will take this word sick from verse three and translate it different ways. Maybe you translate it as ill. Maybe you translate it in the RSV or another text as infirm. I mean, there are different ways that in the english language sound quite beautiful and forceful to express what we understand as the concept of sickness but that very discussion from the beginning is flawed because the text is not talking about sickness in the way that we're talking about it what's going on in john if you read through this and all you see is that he's sick the way we talk about sickness generally in the english language when jesus pops up and asks the question do you want to be well It's really hard to understand why that question is there and what it is that Jesus is confirming. I've heard psychological interpretations of this. I've heard interpretations, for example, where people think the real issue in the question is whether or not Jesus wants to impose himself
1: and so forth. They've never satisfied me. It is a problematic verse when you look closely at verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition a long time. Okay so jesus sees him lying there knows he's been lying there a long time and knows that he can't get in the water by himself then he says Do you want to be made well? That's very strange because Jesus knows why he's there and that he's been there a long time. It seems on the surface a kind of silly question. But it's not
0: silly if you are actually dealing with the Greek. And this was the realization I had in working through Father Paul's exegesis of this text. Because the word that's used in Greek, osteneo, is used repeatedly. And its implication in the Greek isn't just sickness, but specifically to be weak. Now, when you see the word sick in English and the word ill, one possible connotation of illness is weakness, but it's not necessarily so. Maybe I have a toothache. Maybe I have an abscess tooth. Does that mean I'm weak? No, it means I need a painkiller because my jaw is killing me. But in the Greek, it's specifically linked to weakness And it occurs repeatedly. There's a repeated reference to weakness that builds up to this question that Jesus asked. Just listen to the Greek, because I think it's helpful for our listeners to actually hear the story in Greek to understand what's going on. So take, for example, verse three. In verse three, we hear about the multitude of those who were sick. Plithos don astenundon in Greek. Asteneos, that's the first time you hear it. And then again, in verse five, we hear that there was a man who had been sick, or here in the NASB, ill for 38 years, in the Greek. Enti it's the same word that's popping up again. It all comes from the same term, and it's the implication of weakness. So not just sick, but you're weak. And weakness in the New Testament is a very important concept because... The whole struggle of the Torah is to disempower the human being so that God can act for the sake of the human being. And then again, you have in verse 7, the sick man answered him in Greek, afto astenon. again, astenon, it's the same emphasis. So if it's being read aloud and you're hearing the text, all you're thinking about is this repeated emphasis on being weak, being infirm in the sense that you're weak. But then the Greek comes back again because... When the text is so specific about naming this specific word for sickness three times in a kind of affirmation, it's very concrete, one, two, three, it's not that different from modern English where you want to make a point, you give three examples. So there's something happening in the text that's clear in the actual poetry of the Greek. But then you come back, and then the fact that there are three other types of sickness in the Greek that are called out, that then becomes very interesting because in verse three, Right after, you have the first reference, astenundon. Then you have the word, diphlon, which is a technical word from the prophets, referring to the blind. Cholon, which is another technical word from the prophetic tradition, I'm referring to Septuagint. And then finally, you have this third word, xiron in Greek, which is wrongly translated as paralytic because the word actually means and this to me was the very forceful point that father paul made in his argument in the commentary is a term that's used in the septuagint in the dry bones reading that we hear on the Paschal service on friday evening the famous dry bones reading in ezekiel you can see where someone trying to make sense out of the text would say oh well um, what we really have here is he's dried up it must mean he's paralyzed or he's withered it must mean he can't use his arms you know how people's arms curl and they're paralyzed all of that is an assumed context the only context we have for the greek and john is the greek and the septuagint and how it may or may not relate to the hebrew text vis-a-vis the septuagint so in this case all three of the terms tie back to the prophetic tradition in the specific example of the blind and the lame they are connected to texts that talk about the lord coming to intervene which sets a backdrop for the appearance of Jesus Christ. But the third, because it's linked to the dry bones, says something about death. It says something about the life that the word of God, the preaching of the word, the speaking, the pronunciation, the announcement of God's teaching in the ear of the people does for the cause of life. Just like God's debar when he spoke, he created the setting for life in Genesis. When he speaks... He breathes life into the bones in Ezekiel. And so now Jesus is coming to speak a word and to breathe life for this son of Israel who's lying there withered up. Notice the five porticos obviously is representative of the Torah, the place where he should find shelter and protection. He's not because the Torah is not being preached. It's not being spoken. It's not being lived. So why is this key? Because Paul repeats again and again in his letters that you have to be as good as dead just like Abraham was as good as dead. I love that verse that the importance of Abraham's age in Romans is that no one in their right mind would expect an old man to be able to sire a child. So God waited until his body was useless before giving him a child so that you wouldn't fall in the trap of thinking it was Abraham's child. So in a sense, by seeking to confirm that this man truly is powerless, and this is how I'm reading Jesus's question. Are you powerless do you still want to try to pull yourself into the water or depend on the sons of men to put you in the water or are you really ready for god to act on your behalf and here's the interesting thing in the story that no one ever talks about he didn't go in the water people usually read and say no one picked him up. Well, yes, that's true. That's the shame on the community that you're sitting here in the shadow of the Pentateuch, which should teach you justice and mercy and kindness. You all stepped around this guy. But notice, when Jesus came, he didn't put him in the water. He spoke. In other words, the very teaching that the Angelos is sent to preach that stirs the waters, to use Father Halverson's term, that upset the equilibrium with the gospel. The one who embodies that teaching is coming and he simply has to speak and you're raised from the dead and you're raised from the dead for a specific purpose to do work to walk according to you know like the halakha as we often talk in the hebrew or the famous verb in greek peripateo to i walk to walk according to the instruction he gets up to walk according to the teaching and that's why it's so powerful because when the opponents of jesus in the story which we know The opponents of Jesus are a metaphor for the opponents of Paul's gospel. But in John, when specifically the Jews in John, why are you carrying your pallet on the Sabbath? They're opposing the proclamation of the resurrection. Because in Genesis, the Sabbath is given so that you would rest from your vanity and your vain strivings in order to hear the word of the Torah and then act upon it. God rests on the Sabbath so that you can start working not working to go make money to buy a bigger house, doing the work of the gospel for the sake of the needy neighbor. And
1: if we're going to take seriously then this connection with the dry bones in Ezekiel, since in Ezekiel the Lord is creating Israel out of the dry bones by putting his teaching into them, and that's how he's able to have the eschatological people. What is the eschatological people? The eschatological people are those people who are filled with his spirit, filled with his breath, filled with his teaching, filled with his Torah. So this person, he can either lie next to the pool or he can be filled with Torah and then have the opportunity of becoming Israel. So the only way he can become Israel is if he wants to be made well, if he wants to be filled with this teaching. You know, the other thing that I think is interesting here in talking about how the Lord creates Israel out of the dry bones, putting his spirit into them, and how that's tied to here. There's another thing that's interesting is he was there for 38 years. And I know that Father Paul Terazi has preached before that the 38 is significant because that's the number of years that Israel lived in the wilderness. They wandered for a little while, then they just lived there for a while and they were just sitting waiting for the Lord to bring them out of the wilderness into the promised land and so in some ways since this man is waiting by the water for 38 years just like Israel was waiting in the wilderness for 38 years Israel is brought into the promised land so in some ways this man is brought into the promised land
0: so you're at the precipice of this 40 year period in the wilderness it's kind of like that movie Groundhog Day where the poor guy gets up and every day it's the same day over and over and over again and you just wanna free him from his misery so he can finally move forward. That's the feeling I get with this text. And it links also to this beautiful concept in Joshua and another text. It's so clear and explicit in Joshua that the promised land could be in Minneapolis if that's where the Torah is preached. The promised land could be anywhere. So Moses is not able to enter the promised land because he didn't walk according to God's instruction. Do we really think like the fundamentalists that Zion is a strip of land in Palestine? Absolutely not. Zion is the place where those resting and enjoying the advantages of the protection of the five porticos of the Torah walk according to that teaching in gratitude for the protection it offered them. You're stuck in the wilderness until you walk according to the precepts of the Torah, no matter where you build your apartment in modern day Israel. That's very important. And I think also the concept of gratitude functions here because many of you have been healed because of the gift of the preaching of the messenger of god the angelos so why didn't you do something for this other guy are the five porches for your personal enjoyment that's why at the end after jesus heals him he goes off and interacts with the jews and then he has another interaction with jesus and you have this very interesting concept right behold you have become well do not sin anymore, it's not enough to be healed by the generosity of the Torah which is the point that I'm making. There's an implication for you about the generosity of the Torah towards you that is more than simply for your personal enjoyment.
1: Right and thinking about the 38 years what you say reminded me because what happens after the 38 years? At the beginning of the Israelites time in the wilderness they received the law, they received Torah. And they were told when they received Torah, when you go to the promised land, you're going to have to go and live according to Torah. But what happened when they got into the promised land? They were surrounded by Canaanites, people who would not respect Torah. And they right. had to go in the midst of these Gentiles and carry out and live out Torah in spite of the practices of the Gentiles. This is always a concern of the Lord that if you go and mix with the Canaanites too much, you're going to forget Torah, you're going to forget me, and then you're going to go off on your own way. What's interesting here is after he leaves, he doesn't go to meet Canaanites. He goes and meets Jews. And the Jews say, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And the man is expected to go and follow Torah, and they start nitpicking him. And then after they have that interaction, then he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Sin no more, what does that mean? Sin no more means do not reject torah anymore but stay on the path of torah and don't let something bad happen to you because you didn't follow torah what those jews are teaching you and they're nitpicking you is not torah don't do like them just as god told the Israelites not to follow what the Canaanites did.
0: Because if Jesus listened to them, he wouldn't have healed you on the Sabbath.
1: This is the nitpicking that Judas did we talked about in the other podcast, how he nitpicked nitpicked Jesus. It's
0: ethical morality. It's the same nonsense. Now here's the thing. With respect to the function of resurrection in the New Testament, you are raised so that the Torah can be preached among the Gentiles, so that the Torah is no longer held captive by the nitpicking of those who are sitting comfortably under The five porches sipping lemonade, while other people are sick and in need. Yes, and later very powerful. No, and I mean
1: this is absolutely right because in verse 16, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, "My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. So he's saying, what is the rest? What are you resting from? Instead of resting from the
0: vanity of the pursuit of wealth or the pursuit of power. You are resting from the life-giving instruction to do the work of the gospel, the work of the Torah
1: for the sake of the weaker brother. Right, and he says, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Because we
0: cannot have anyone running around allowing the Torah to get out, because if it does, it will undermine our power it'll undermine our comfort, it'll undermine the safety of the womb of our community, so to speak.
1: And then Jesus goes into a long discourse here about what it means for God to be his father. And I think that's interesting that this has been leading up to this. So Jesus is allowing this man to be filled with Torah in order to be raised up as Israel and go among the heathen, so to speak, ironically the Jews. He is doing the work of God that God did with Pharaoh in releasing the people and then allowing them to be freed and become the people of Israel and allow them into the Promised Land to go among the Canaanites to continue to follow Torah. And so he's doing the same work that God was doing. It's the work that
0: God rested from on the seventh day so that his disciples, who hear it, would continue to spread life, not the fleshly seed of Abraham, but the seed of the teaching and the promise which God gave to Abraham. How many times have we heard American Christians say you shouldn't mow the lawn on Sunday because it's the day of rest? Well, with all due respect, if your wife would like you to mow the lawn and the instruction says you have to love your neighbor and your wife is your neighbor, mow the lawn twice on the Sabbath. Now, the work that scripture is talking about, obviously, is the work of preaching. But the work of preaching in John, the sowing and the reaping, the hearing and the doing, all of these you know connections are linked. So if you can't preach, mow the lawn on Sunday. And as my wife would say, I don't care if
1: you can preach. You're still going to mow the lawn on Sunday. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. The fact that they're using the Sabbath as their ethical system, like Judas used taking yes. care of the poor as yeah. an ethical system. They miss the fact that... Jesus just allowed someone to become Israel, just gave someone the power to become yes. Israel through Torah. This they miss because of their ethical system. It's
0: not your five porticos. They don't belong to you. The Torah does not belong to the Jews, and the gospel does not belong to the church. The earth and the fullness thereof belong to the Lord. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you very much. Take care.
1: just heard the Bible as literature.
0: Thanks for listening.